we're going to talk okay. about the fact that it's been weeks since the last time we did this. Yeah, it, it's it been has so been. long. <laughs> it has been, but only because you two insist on having lives outside my immediate wants. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fair point. This argument, yeah. 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 I tried to get rid of my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the important thing. But seriously, what is it about? Um, so this is so to start. This is all points in between. It's a travel and history podcast that does sound sixty six percent huskier because two thirds of its hosts are ill. And today we're doing the second part of our Scandbag episodes. Ah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the guy. Yeah, I've noticed um, when when I do these episodes. So. Usually, I've got Matt or Adam or whoever on, and they all have these kind of pleasing baritones as they're do when I'm on the editing. Like the line just goes very smoothly up and down. Whereas <laughs> I can I can see I can see my bits because it just looked like an explosion at a chainsaw factory. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that we won't have quite so much of that because I am ill. At the moment, but, but yeah. you need difference in pitch. It, 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 you need variation. Variety is the spice of life. We don't all want to be the same tone. No, no. So I've I've got a normal cold, which is the first time I've had a cold since about 2019, because I live in a van and generally avoid human contact at any point I possibly can. Very but, wise. Yeah. But we also have Matt with a very retro disease of COVID. Yeah, I, I managed to catch COVID way, way after it was cool or interesting or really anything to comment on, to be honest. But here we go. I have COVID. So that's that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies for the coughs that mine hasn't edited out. Oh, it's OK. I'm, I'm going to be coughing like a howitzer as we go through this. And I'll edit most of them out. Um, I might just start fake coughing just so I don't feel left out. You you, you <laughs> should. Oh, Adam. Poor guy. But, I don't know. I suppose now, yeah, it's charmingly retro to have COVID. So, yeah, you are one of the cool kids, Matt. <laughs> anyway, speaking of retro and having time trample over all of our faces, who's up for a bit more medieval history? Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Fire away. That, 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 was, that, that was unbelievably enthusiastic. <laughs> it's what you think of the mess test. <laughs> I, I really tried, I, I tried to keep you up there and everything. Yeah. And I, I think I've been listening to too many American podcasts <laughs> where, you know, like Americans just kind of go, woo, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah I, I forget. I that pride it's... myself in my inability to manufacture fake enthusiasm. <laughs> it's got where we were. I probably am today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I do, I do have a couple of bits from part one actually that I needed to go back and read again. I was talking last time about um, people who don't have the voice in their head when they're reading. And um, yeah, apparently it's people who are a fantastic, which means that they don't have an internal monologue, and also means that they read a lot quicker because they're not doing the voices. 
I don't need to comment on that. I just it, it was just my own interest. No, but it's and, interesting the idea that they read quicker. That's actually like so people who you, pride themselves on their speed reading are actually people who have no imagination. You're not going to read I, it to anyone else, have you? You know, because when you know normally you have to read it and then you have to read no, it to it's voices just in like your head, ammunition, it? isn't it, to those yeah. people who boast about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and they <clears throat> they just don't have voices in their head apparently. Mm. God, it must be peaceful, but yeah, perhaps um, I don't know, less colourful. Don't know. the The other bit was um, when I was starting out the last episode, I was talking about some of the Albanian heroes, and I mentioned the name Desiato, which was, of course, wrong. If anybody has gone back and listened, I meant Beto the Desiato, because Desiato is a character in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> Um, was he, he, he was the character who was spending a year dead for tax purposes, and I got, I, I got confused and said Desiato and not Beto the Desiato. Are you going to start talking about the Albanian war hero Marge Simpson? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, the um, yeah, the Albanian war hero fourth prefect, yeah. Oh dear! I feel like you may have just lost some of your. You just lost listeners. all your Albanian audience. <laughs> I, I any like any like real historians have yeah. just like turned their nose up at this podcast <laughs> when you started bringing in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a as a reference point. <laughs> this podcast that only uses historical sources. I use three sources on Albanian history, and one of them is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> Which doesn't mention our <laughs> history in the slightest. No. Oh, no, the, the whole series is a pretty big book. There must be a mention somewhere. But anyway, hello, Albanians. <coughs> yeah. And you get some stereo coughing there, which I will edit out. So you're also we'll going to have to edit out the fact that you say you're editing out your coughs every time you cough. So, you, you know, you're providing yourself quite a lot of work. And you'll have oh, to no. edit this out as well. No, I do that. Not edit this out. I'll, 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 I'll edit that out, and this out, and this, and this. We got to the stage last time. Um, JJ, have we started yet? Yes, we're starting now. <laughs> okay. Oh, are we? Are we almost at the end of the episode? Yeah, we're, we're eighteen minutes in. <laughs> It's it's all right. We'll we'll get through it. Okay. So about three minutes we're... of usable material. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think I think you could just cut it here <laughs> and then we'll make another episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll carry on until um we'll carry on until Zoom chucks me out. So last time, Georgi Castriotti, he was an Albanian minor noble. He'd been taken by the Ottomans and he'd been raised to be a Janissary soldier. He'd helped chuck his own father out of his previous territories, which were in the middle of modern-day Albania. Didn't get given any land as part of that, but was left in charge of a bunch of troops. So, where we start That's this one... the worst one? idea, isn't it? <laughs> you don't give them land, but you do give them troops. <laughs> You do. Here's a loaded gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. Have have this. Um, we'll see how it works out. 
And how it works out is that it is now 1443, and Skanderbeg and his 300 or so men, they're fighting alongside Kasim Pasha at Battle of Nils, which is in modern-day Serbia. And the battle was part of a crusade that had been called by the Pope, and the idea was to push the Ottomans back out of the Balkans to get them away from lusting after Vienna. It really was the last hurrah for crusading this. Um, you know, crusades typically happened quite a lot earlier in history, and they've fallen out of fashion by this point. But this was the first big battle of the war, and because it was an invasion by the crusaders, it wasn't really going the Ottomans' way at this stage. They do go on to win this war, but... During this first battle at Nils, they were kind of caught their trousers around their ankles. And there wasn't really a cohesive plan. And eventually the Serbians and their allies do smash past the Ottomans here. So our hero Skandbeg, he decides that much like some of those other Albanian figures that we've talked about in history, that he's not really too keen on being minced by Serbians and that things might just work out better for him if he disappears. Which does kind of make sense. I've, I've seen Serbia. It's probably not really worth fighting over. <laughs> there goes our Serbian audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're second of a, you're second of a biggest audience there, Mike. What the hell? <laughs> You shouldn't insult, insult nation states. We've been over this. Uh, and I'm not it, the one that's in the region either. <laughs> I, I'm not in the People region. Serbia. I'm, I I'm, also <laughs> do not endorse his comments. I, I'm not in the region either now. I'm, I'm down on the Mediterranean coast. Oh, and he's given away his location. Yeah. <laughs> I see on the cake. What, um, giving away my location of the Mediterranean coast? Like, <laughs> what is that? About 8,000 miles of coastline that I could be on. Yeah, That's could true. be anywhere. I live Very in a van. I'm in, I live in a van. I'm in the wind. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Skanderbeg and his men, they abandon this battle. And he decides that he'd rather use his troops to retake those an ancestral lands that we were talking about in the last episode. So his first stop is back in the lovely town of Kruge. And it's a pretty good place to set up a base of operations. If you go there, then you'll see that it's just perched on the side of this big mountain. It looks out over the plains towards Tirana and the sea. And so, really, if, if anyone's going to come and attack you, they've got to come from one direction to get to you. And you're going to see them coming from miles away. They're also going to have to trudge up this massive hill to attack you. And, you know, nobody really feels like having a fight after a long hike. So it's a pretty <laughs> advantageous spot for them to be in. As I mentioned last time, Skanderbeg was previously the governor of Kruge, but he didn't actually own any land there that his dad used to own. He just kind of ran it as government functionary. Um, but this time he did have plans to set himself up there 
more formally. During the 1400s, news doesn't travel that fast. And so when his men, when him and his men arrive in Cruges, nobody there knows at that time that they're deserters. They're just a bit like, hello, why are you and your heavily armed mates in my town? To which he says, no, don't worry about it. I'm supposed to be here. Look, I have this letter from the government. It says I own this now. Yeah, yeah, it, it does look like my handwriting, but don't think too hard about that. Lots of people have similar handwriting. They... I, I, I don't think that conversation happened, Martin. Sorry. just. To... <laughs> I I think it was something... It's certainly that said... not at such a high pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure he had a more heroic voice than me. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Me and Matt should act this conversation out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a more accurate voice profile. Yeah. <laughs> Go on then, say, repeat after me. Why, yes, it does look like my handwriting. Don't think too hard yeah. about it. Lots of people have similar handwriting. Sorry, man, you got it. Yeah. You nailed it that time. Yeah, that was... That's perfect. the one. That was heroic. I, yeah. I, I lowered my pitch. You see, if, if, if I did just have a generally lower-pitched voice, then I would rule the world. I, it's it's my silly voice that you know it's my silly voice that puts me back and is the reason that I live in a van. <laughs> yeah, we all got our crosses to bear. Yeah. I think that's probably an exaggeration. <laughs> let's, let's, let's move yeah, on. You sing, your voice single handedly is the reason why you live in a van. But I think I think there's a lot of other stuff going on there as well. We'll we'll put it down to wanderlust. Let's say that. So the locals who they know Skanderbeg pretty well already because he was the governor there and they know that he's pretty handy in a fight. And so essentially they just kind of say, fine, whatever. And they let him come and set, he sets himself up in the castle. And at this point, his rebellion against the Ottoman Empire begins. For the next five years or so, Skanderbeg commands a hit-and-run style war against the Ottomans in the land around Cruges. They capture and hold some major towns in the area from time to time. He's almost completely abandoned any pretense that he's a Muslim at this point, and has gone back to being Catholic, which is the faith that he was born into. And it's something that will help him out a bit later on when it's time to ask his buddies in Venice to help him out. It's probably a good diplomatic move because he does start winning some battles against the Ottomans. And so he's able to spin this as, look at me, I'm this awesome Christian guy standing up against the Muslims who are still lusting after Vienna. And it's probably part of the reason that he got that biography written about him that we talked about in the previous episode. And he does generally become this cause celeb in Christian Europe for what it is that he's doing. But he's not really a big one for tolerance towards his former faith. He reportedly he would impale Ottoman officials who refused to convert to Christianity after he captured their town. And even in the Middle Ages, you don't really hear about people getting impaled 
impaled very often. Um, I mean, there's a reason why Vlad the Impaler has the name. It's yeah, it's a pretty unusual thing to be known for. Um, but did, he was nearby though, Vlad the Impaler. I think it was kind of it was a regional thing. Sorry to dispute you, Martin, yeah. but yeah, because he he was also in the Balkans, wasn't he? So he was in Wallachia. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe impaling was a Balkan thing. Um, it like... was, yeah. Well, they were actually. Um, like I say, it was a quite a popular, uh, not popular, but it's quite a prevalent thing in the in the time and in the in the region as a punishment. And there were different ways of doing it. Some definitely worse than others, but all pretty bad. Right. So, so why would oh, it's why would Vlad get that? All... Like, oh, it's popular as hell. All the cool kids were getting impaled. Mm. Yeah, but like, why why did they like tag that onto to Vlad? He was you an know. extreme case. Like, so this episode is about Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> <laughs> he has a similar story to uh, Scanderbeg. So he was held hostage by the Ottomans um, and then went back to claim his birthright in a similar sort of way. In his case, it was from his brother. Um, but yeah, impaling was his method of terror. And similar to when Scanderbeg took power and was impaling people, he did the similar thing. But Just we're talking more. about thousands. And and. There's a lot of controversy around it because he's very widely regarded in Romania because he was kind of like a, you know, revolutionary figure for them. Yeah, so like a, a vampire. <laughs> but I mean, arguably that's part of where um, the inspire well, that is where the inspiration for Dracula came from because he was known as Dracul, um, the dragon. Uh, that was a name that he was given. Um, but yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. The history is fuzzy because there's a lot of bias on either side where people talk about what actually happened there. Yeah, there are quite a lot of parallels with Scandbeg, actually, aren't there? Because yeah. he was this Balkan ruler fighting against the Ottomans. Um, I, I think he was a little after this, wasn't he? But he also got mm. put up as this kind of, I was about to say, pillar of Christianity. But given that we're talking about people getting put on poles, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, he wasn't the pillar, he was the one erecting the pillars um, yeah, somewhat but, yeah hmm. well, I might be driving through Romania in the spring, so you never know, might do well on him notice he's not going to say anything mean about Romanian people because he's got Romania to come yeah, anything that's coming up is fine it's the places he's been there, he's going to he's going to denigrate yeah. <laughs> shit's on the countries he's been to <laughs> but anyway Back to what we're supposed to be talking about. So <laughs> we talk more about Vlad the Impaler than we have about Scandabek. I mean, Vlad the Impaler, he was a man. <laughs> what a character. Tell me again why he was called Vlad the Impaler. It's in the name. But doing the same thing as Scandabek did. So anyway, through doing this, his impaling and his general kind of pre-modern guerrilla warfare, he does eventually end up taking most of the land that is in the north of modern-day Albania. And with some allegiances with local landlords, he forms what's called the League of Leshay. Essentially, this is the first entity that, certainly in the Middle Ages, that you can point to and say, this is an early Albania. And it's the reason why he is revered in the country. 
before this, the, there hadn't really been any independent Albanian state in any meaningful sense of the word. It had been kind of Romans and then Venetians and then Ottomans, pretty much all the way back into, well, antiquity, really. Along with these lords in Albania... Oh, and you've also got a drink. What have you got there? It's um, it's vermouth. Vermouth? I'm on... Because I'm ill, I'm on a drink called Black Brewing, which has the highest alcohol to... No, not alcohol. Has the highest um, caffeine to Turkish lira um, ratio that I can find. And they, they don't sell medicine in Turkey? <laughs> well, I think they do. No, Martin doesn't buy medicine. That's, that's the fact. <laughs> no, exactly. That's too hard. That means having to go to a pharmacist and then do a mine to try and explain what I need. Whereas I can just go get myself a highly caffeinated soft drink. And yeah, that sees me through. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, along with these lords in Albania, he does start getting some more support from European Christians. This particularly happens after 1453 when Constantinople gets taken by the Turks and he starts being seen as this main nub of resistance to the Ottomans in, in the Balkans. This means that he starts getting bankrolled particularly by Venice and Naples, who both have their own interests in the region. As I've mentioned earlier, it's a pretty messy web of alliances. At one point, he is granted citizenship and protection by Venice, but then decides to go to war with them in 1447 over a claim that he had on a coastal area. And at one point, the Venetians do take a hit out on him which involved them offering a life pension of 100 gold ducats to any person who did go and kill Scandbeg and prove that they killed him. But, but, I mean, just to stop for a second there. So he was at war with the Ottoman Empire, which was a massive, I mean, if you look at the on the map, you know, massive, massive empire, uh, even at the time when they hadn't even reached their apex. And then he went to war with Venice, which is basically the only other large power, well, one of the large powers against them. And he was fighting them both at the same time. Yeah, he just wanted a little nub of Venetian land that was on the coast. So decided that, that he was going to go to war with them for a little bit. It didn't it didn't last for very long, but mm. he was at war with them for a little while. Venetians on one side, Vim, Ottomans on the other. And here he was stuck in the middle with, well... Um, I know, Naples. Uh, Notice he didn't want a nub of Naples. Well, Naples is quite a long way away. Um, um, I don't know what their interests in the region were. I should have written that down in my notes, but I didn't because I'm a professional. But that that hit out on him, it did only go on for a year, and then he retracted his claim from this strip of coast that the Venetians had. And so they started being friends again. And the whole thing, it does feel a bit like reading, I don't know, my diary from when I was a teenager, the amount that alliances change. 
You had a okay. diary when you were a teenager. I I had a I had a notebook for a while. It has since been burned. Nobody can see that now. But it did it did generally go along the lines of things like, "Oh, he's my friend now. No, he's not my friend. I hate him. This isn't a phase, etc." So w w were we ever in this diary? No, no. This was before I met you guys. This this was more when I was about thirteen or fourteen. Fair enough. And um, like I say, it's, it is long burned. While there is this um, league of Albanian lords and princes, there's not really a set battle line between Skanderbeg's league of Lesi and the Ottomans. <laughs> the whole... don't don't laugh at how I pronounce so the league of Lesi. Very mature. You child. <laughs> uh, He's probably mispronouncing it, but even still. I'm almost certain he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like League of Lazé or something, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mispronounce everything. Um, can an Albanian... How do you spell it? Um, yeah. Oh, I'll have to scroll back up my notes there now. To, um... L-E-Z-H-E. Right. Let's hey. Let's hey. I'm not going to play a YouTube video that explains how to pronounce it, but... No. Maybe our regular listeners could give us some guidance I, as to how I one think... Listen to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> I think one, one of our handful of Albanian listeners can... Tell me how that's supposed to be pronounced. But as I was saying, there's there's not really this set battle line between him and the Ottomans. The whole thing, it has a bit more feeling of a guerrilla war. So there are several times during his rebellion when the Ottomans, they've managed to get to the gates of Cruz and put it under siege. And I found it really confusing when I was trying to read up on this and research it. Because the timeline of the war, it'll have him winning a battle somewhere a good 100 miles or so away from Cruz. And then almost immediately after, the Ottoman Turks will be knocking on his front door. So through the rebellion, Cruz is put under siege three times. The first of these was in 1450. And the Ottomans, they had an army of 100,000 guys camped outside outside the town, which was defended by a garrison of 1,500 soldiers. On this occasion, Skanderbeg does resort back to his guerrilla tactics, and he sends a detachment of men, along with himself, sneaking around the edge of the camps, harassing them and disrupting their supply chains. There were three assaults on the city during this siege, but they were beaten back and eventually got broken after six months so they do manage to hold the city and he continues doing this for around 25 years holding on to this proto-Albanian state against some pretty overwhelming odds he also has a bit of time during this period to take some of his men to Naples and he helps them in one of their wars in exchange for some more funding for his league but 
as we move but, into the... Can I just interrupt? I found yeah. a way to pronounce it. It's leisure. 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 Ah, the leisure. League of Leisure. Leisure. There you go. I can always cut that and put it in later. I'm sure it won't sound... <laughs> I'm sure it won't sound terrible. It certainly sounded better. It it would do. Yeah, yeah, sounds better than the League of Lessie. Yeah, leisure. As as we move into the 1460s, his forces, they're pretty exhausted at, due to this constant low-level grinding against an entire massive empire with not really a lot of support. In 1466 and then again in 67, Cruz gets besieged another two times. The Albanians manage to fight the Ottomans off on both occasions. But the League of Leisure is pretty devastated by this point. And ultimately, it was just a war of attrition. The Ottomans, they could just keep hurling wave after wave of men into the Albanian meat grinder until the Albanians were just exhausted. And so Skanderbeg heads to the town of Leisure on the coast to meet up with the other lords and do a bit of what I think we'd call restructuring in the modern era. We're at this stage, Skanderbeg is almost at his lowest point. The league has been ground down. The Ottomans were at his door. He gathers his leaders around him and they start to plan how they're going to turn this war around against seemingly insurmountable odds. And then he gets malaria and dies. That's the end. Good podcast. Oh. Oh. I, I was hoping for a bit more of a narrative arc there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's the Middle Ages, so people do just randomly die of disease. <laughs> And did no one take up his mantle? Did no one? No, no, no. It's um, yeah. He he just came down with random death syndrome, um, which, as me and Matt are well aware from playing paradox games, is probably the most annoying bit of it. That you spend all that time building up this intricate web of alliances and lands, and then it just says, "No, your king took ill, died." start again. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, you normally it, lose it, half your land at the same time. Yeah, it, it sucks. And in this so, case... So what happened to the League? Yeah, it, it falls apart pretty quickly after he dies. So the rest of the League, they start infighting. The Alliance falls apart. The Albanian territories they get rolled up by the Ottomans pretty quickly. And Albania then stays part of the Ottoman Empire from this point up until 1912, which is when modern Albania comes into being. And we've talked a little bit about that on a previous episode, but I suppose that is the end of the third act of Scandinavia. So how, how, how old is he when he dies? That is a fantastic question that I didn't write in my notes. I think he was about 60-odd. He was born in 1443 and died in 1468, so he would have been... No, he, 
he, he wasn't born in 1443. He'd already started his rebellion by 1443. Oh, no, sorry. That's the, that's the, that is the, the, those are the years of his rebellion. Sorry, I'm getting him <laughs> wrong. No, it was a little earlier than that, wasn't it? You see, yeah. this, the, this is the joy of creating something on a computer. You can just open up Wikipedia. He was oh, 62. He died. Yeah, he died in 62. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good age for the Middle Ages. He's, yeah, what's yeah. he complaining about? Well, it's like probably, 120 now. Yeah, I, I suppose that's what happens when you do rely on one guy to run your entire resistance. And then, yeah, it's the Middle Ages and you can just drop dead from, I know, the howling vapours or whatever. There you go. Well, what he died of is actually the main cause of human death throughout the whole of history. Malaria. It's it's killed more than anything else. It sure is. Yeah. I thought you were going to say impaling. <laughs> no. I'm impaling. The scourge of humanity. Oh, well, people walking yeah, on I mean... Lego bricks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody. The, the modern day version of impaling. Yeah. Ah, crap. <laughs> Yeah, everybody remembers the impaling pandemic of 2015. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we when we all had to stay home so that we don't wouldn't get impaled. So what was his legacy? <laughs> but anyway, on to the last bit. <laughs> Martin's he, not gonna answer that question because he doesn't know. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't hear I didn't hear the question. I was coughing. What did you say? <laughs> you asked a very good question. I asked what his legacy was. <laughs> He's trying to take this oh, seriously. Oh, that's that. That's what we're getting onto now. If you give me a moment, well, my I know, next... I'm trying to give you a segue onto your next <laughs> bit, mate. Well, stop oh, doing no. it. Be quiet. <laughs> You're here I'm to talk. With you. Okay. <laughs> Mark your voice. <laughs> okay. Silence, both of you. Now, Adam, give me that segue again. What was his legacy, Martin? That's a really good question, Adam. <laughs> we'll move on to why was this guy important <laughs> to modern Albania? And he really is. You see statues and murals of him all over the country. He's got a chain of petrol stations named after him. And yeah, he's a pretty big deal. Skanderbeg is seen as being a bit like an Albanian version of William Wallace this kind of native hero that was standing up to this larger empire. But I think most people, most Albanians, they'll tell you that he was a bit better than Wallace because, you know, all, all William Wallace had to do was flat some English guys, whereas Skanderbeg was taking on the whole of the Ottoman Empire right at the point when it was coming to the height of its power. And Albania, as, as I've talked about on a previous, well, on the episode a couple of months ago. It's a pretty small country with major powers all around it, really. And it does spend large chunks of its history being invaded and occupied by some arsehole or other. This short-lived period where it was an autonomous region in the Middle Ages has taken on a kind of mythic image of Albanian independence. And it's seen by a lot of people as being where the Albanian national identity was born. So it's a bit of a mix in terms of the, the way that people will view this. 
there are some Christians in the country who will point his resistance against the Muslims, but Albania, it's a Muslim majority country, and they tend to play that side of it down and laud him more for upholding Albanian independence. And the thing that I found pretty interesting is that even the communist government gave him a revered status. Although, um, yeah, I think that might be a bit more looking at Cruz and thinking, you know what, that place looks like a big bunker. Let's have some more of those. But... Is he a bit like a kind of character where a little bit of an untouchable character in the sense of, like, as a politician, to say anything negative about him is a form of kind of political suicide, almost like the kind of Churchill in the UK, you know, say something about him and you end up, you know, looking like very anti-patriotic and stuff like that. And like, is it similar kind of mentality around him? Like he's kind of a bit of an untouchable character. Yeah, I think he's definitely in that pantheon of national heroes. I think because he is from further back in the past, perhaps it's perhaps you don't really get those criticisms. People are less touchy of, about it. Yeah, people are less touchy about it and generally people are a little bit cooler with impalings when they happened six hundred years ago, as opposed to, you know, the Bengal famine that yeah, it happened less than a century ago. But mm. yeah, um, as I say, you know, the Christians, the Muslims, the communists all latch onto him as a as a national hero. And the communists did have this honour in their system, and I think it still exists now, called the Order of Skanderbeg, which was a military decoration, presumably for bunker building or whatever it was that communist government was doing at the time that's what i've got really with this skanderbeg the janissary super soldier who ended up becoming the founding myth for modern albania what a guy and i'll never forget him you forgot him <laughs> until i literally until... did in the first episode i was like scandal what but i think i'll remember him now I think I've had enough exposure to, to his stories to, to, for it to seep in. To my... You'll yeah. start talking about that episode we did on Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> yeah. Now that yeah. is an oh. episode. Do that oh, episode that, next. That guy. Um, well, I might do that when I'm driving back north again. Um, I've got a few ideas for Turkish episodes as I'm driving through Turkey. And I've, I've met somebody in Istanbul who might help me do a bit of research on the next one, which will nice. be Istanbul-based. So cool. you can look forward to that. Right, so I think that will do us. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that by email, allpointspod at gmail.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter at allpointscast. If you want to get in touch with Matt, then you can include your message in a crudely forged letter that says that you now own Hampshire and then force him to read it because you're now his feudal lord. If you want to get in touch with Adam, then you can impale a messenger and stake it in his front garden. And if you have any complaints about today's episodes, please feel free to contact you probably should. Exactly the same contact details he's just giving me. 
if you are able to find me, then you may impale me. But I do move regularly. <laughs> you don't want to go around and say that, man. You don't want to go around saying that. Then I'm an open sex invitation. Oh, well, on, on Facebook today, I have had several adverts asking me if I'm a virgin and if I want to take part in a Channel 4 documentary. So I've been living in a van for many years and Facebook seems they to you've got a I'm a virgin again. <laughs> And and also I've got a podcast. Yeah, it's it's decided that I have regressed into virginity again. <laughs> and multiple cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they will the analytics they put together that day. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know where I, I do not know where they're getting their stats from. Yeah. <laughs> man who lives in a van and befriends stray animals. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, it's normally based You're a man on correlation. Who... <laughs> Also, you're a man who's not that hot with technology. You've probably been freely giving up all your data to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used a few I used a few sources on the episode and I will include those in the notes. So if you do want to go and read that very flowery biography of Scanderbeg that I didn't read because it's from the fifteen hundreds and annoying, then you can. But there are a few other interesting articles as well. And we'll leave it at that. So from me, and I presume also from the other guys, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.